Hello and welcome to another episode of the Diet Obsessed Podcast. I am your host, Veronica Santorelli, and this is a podcast for those of us who are just obsessed with all things diet culture, and we like to discuss the details and mention it all. All right, let's get into the episode. So today's another episode of Craving More, my new subscription. So thank you to all my subscribers. Uh, Today I'm going to be doing a review of a podcast called uh, Wholehearted Eating. But first, just a quick personal update. So let's see. So this week, today is March 2nd. I successfully made it through February with basically no processed sugar. It's Thursday. I'm taping this in the morning. I just got back from, it's early. It's pretty, it's pretty early. It's like 9 a.m. And I've already had my breakfast. I've done cardio. I got my workout done. I went to get my taxes done. So that felt good to get that, that off my plate. Uh, it's been a pretty stressful week, but let me start at, at last weekend. So last weekend I did, <clears throat> again, I always get worried about not, about, you know, wanting to just binge on sugar over the weekends, but I, I did make it through. Uh, we went out on Saturday night to play this like indoor golf thing and it was fun. I had a couple of, uh, well, it, I wanted an espresso martini they didn't have espresso, but they made me kind of like a coffee martini, basically. It was really good. I, I kind of treated myself to that since I'm not really doing a lot of sugar. And and I also just wanted to kind of like baby myself because it was such a busy week. I had had my Bravos night on that Thursday with, uh, no, actually, I'd had my Bravo night with my girlfriends on the Friday. And we had just launched with this new partner. We had just transitioned to a new license with my business. So it was just an insane week. But I wanted to be there for my girls. I wanted to go out with my boyfriend and my friends. So it was just a very hectic, like I get out of, I got out of work on Thursday to rush, I'm sorry, Friday to rush over to my friend KK's house for a Bravo night. And, you know, I, I, I worked really late. <clears throat> I ended up working at both my jobs, both my side hustle job and my cannabis company job. And just, I mean, I was, I was working till like 9 PM. So I got, got there late and I managed to, she had a nice spread of like charcuterie and, um, they were drinking wine. I just brought over a couple Trulies. I didn't want to drink too much because I had to get up at like eight in the morning for work. So I was like, no, I, I just, you know, I took it, I took it easy. Uh, I picked up some garlic knots and some pizza to bring over and I knew that they were going to have ice cream there. My friend Kate always brings over like two gallons of ice cream with Jimmy's. And I was like, am I going to eat that or am I going to say no to it? And I, and when I have a truly, like the truly's are sweet to me, you know, they're, they're flavored. They're like pineapple and cherry. So when I have something sweet for like a beverage, especially if I'm drinking alcohol, which are, you know, has a lot of sugar anyway, I just, I just don't really, I mean, I guess that doesn't have a lot of sugar in it, but it tastes sweet. So I don't necessarily need anything else sweet. So I was able to say no to the ice cream very easily. And, um, you know, I focused on the, the cheese and crackers and the pizza, the garlic knots and my Trulies. And, and I was happy and just caught up with my girlfriends, which was great. Watched a couple episodes of Bravo. Summer house is amazing. Real houses in Miami. So good. Uh, and so watched that with them. And then 
went home Saturday. I went right from work to signing these these documents. So I bought this car in Massachusetts for my business over there and had them overnight me the paperwork and I overnighted it back. And I had to get it notarized. And of course, I messed up the signatures. So that added to my stressful week. But I was I was in a rush like Saturday. I worked till like three, ran to go get those notar no, things notarized, rushed home. I picked up Chick-fil-A on the on the ride home because I was so hangry. I was like, I knew if I didn't pick up Chick-fil-A, because Chad was on his way to pick me up. And I had like gone, I had a long day at work. Then I rushed to do that. And I'm like, if he picks me up and I'm this hungry, I'm going to be like a raving bitch. So let me get some chicken tenders and calm myself down. So I went and got some of the spicy chicken tenders and I was in a much better mood. So kudos to me for doing that. Uh, and then I had a drink and went out and I had those, like I said, those coffee martinis and some flatbread and Chad had been out drinking, you know, with his buddies all day. Like, you know, he he went and did his own thing while I was working, which is great. Like, I'm, I want him to do that. Uh, but when I when I'm when I'm rushing and I, I've been out multiple days and I'm working so much, I just have little patience. As as I've talked about in in you know prior podcasts, where. I try not to take that out on him. Like I wanted to have a good time. I wanted to hang out with friends. So, you know, so, so I did, I, we had a great time. The, the, the indoor golf putting thing was fun. Uh, you know, the drinks were good, but you know, by like 8 PM, nine, that's like getting close to nine. I was like, all right, like I just, I want to go home and Chad still wanted to stay out. And it, the night was winding down anyway, but there was a big group out. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get an Uber. And he's like, well, we don't know if everybody's ready to leave yet. I'm like, well, I'm ready to leave. I am ready to leave. <laughs> like, so so I went out and ordered the Uber. He stayed inside to finish his drink. And I, you know, the Uber's getting there. He's not coming out. I go in, grab him. I'm like, um, hello, like I'm out there waiting. So I, I again, I tried to hide my annoyance because I did not want to take it out on him. Uh, but I just, I needed to get out of there. I needed to rest. I needed to just not talk to people. You know, with this new job, I basically talk for six straight hours and I'm, you know, I'm an introvert. So when I'm talking and talking and talking, this is different. I can talk to you guys like in my closet, like on a podcast very easily, but, you know, when I'm talking to other people, like, and it's, and I'm giving my energy and I'm actively listening, it just, it takes a lot out of me, you know, and I'm on, we're on the way home and he's, you know, he's cracking jokes and I'm not finding them funny. <laughs> just like, that's not funny. And, you know, he's, he's trying to like lighten the mood and, 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 you know, make me happy and stuff. And I'm just, I, and I said to him, I'm like, look, I just need a straight 24 hours where I do not speak to another human. I'm like, that's what I need right now. And I, again, I feel bad because I, I, I know he just wants to like, he wants to interact with me because I've been so busy, but anyway, um, so I feel like this weekend I'm going to really chill and not push myself to go out anywhere because I just, I want to be 
more loving to him. He deserves it. He's such a, he's such a good person. He's such so good to me. And I just want to like have energy for him this weekend. Um, so that's my plan this weekend. And I don't know what I'm going to do in terms of like eating sugar again. I, I know I'm like, I'm like allowed to now I'm, I'm this month. I'm, you know, I'm back to like, whatever. I just, I know it's a slippery slope for me. I know when I start incorporating sugar, it's like, I need like three different things. And then the salty, sweet, salty, sweet. And I don't know. It's, it's definitely, I, I get my body is addicted to sugar for sure. So, and, and it's not like I want to, you know, I don't want to say no to processed sugar forever. I want to be able to enjoy a cake. And, but you know, when I think about every time I think about, oh, maybe I'll have this, like my first thought is, oh, maybe I'll bake this entire batch of cupcakes and eat them all by myself. Like that's where my mind goes. So anyway, I'll, I'll figure that out soon. Um, but yeah, so this week was a little bit stressful in terms of I messed up the signatures on this paperwork. And so, you know, the whole point of having them overnight me these things was to try to expedite this as fast as possible so I can get this car being built out because we, we need to get up and running in, in Massachusetts. And it's like delay after delay after delay. And, you know, I thought I was saving money by not having to fly there and rent a car and get a hotel room and, and you know, fly all the way to the East Coast just to buy this car and get, get the build out started. But now that I'm, it's going on this like second week, I'm like, this is going to cost us thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars because we're not going to be up and running and we'll have to pay another month of rent without being up and running. And so anyway, I've just, it, it doesn't help to stress about things you can't control. But of course, I was like, so I was like beating myself up for, you know, for signing those things wrong. And if I had just waited for Chad to get home to get his feedback on the signatures, because he used to work in the car industry, so he he knew everything where I should have signed and where I shouldn't have signed, he would have been able to help me. But of course, I rushed through it. I rushed to get it mailed out, and I did it wrong. And so here I am. It's my fault. It's totally my fault. And of course, I part of me wanted to blame some of it on him because he's the one that's like, you don't have to fly to Massachusetts. You can. They can do it. Trust me. They can do it. And they did. He was right about that. Um, and he was like all boasting about how he saved me thousands of dollars by, by figuring it out for me that they can still do it and they can overnight me this paperwork. And, and I was really grateful to him. But then when I, of course, now it's getting delayed much longer. And so I'm like, I should have just flown there. And, and again, I, of course, want to take my stress out on him, but I'm like, this is not his fault. Like he was, he's problem solving for me. Anyway, I just, I always, I always want to blame, <laughs> sort of blame my love. Anyway, that's, that's, that's my bad quality, but I managed to still be grateful and just be like, look, it's not your fault. It's my fault. I should have just waited for you to get your feedback on the signatures. It is what it is. You know, it is what it is. But, um, so that was stressful. And then the other thing that really stressed me out this week is we had to lay some people off at my, at my, in my cannabis company here in Arizona. And, you know, and I think I've talked about this before, but, you know, we had launched in California uh, last year and it was a money pit. We should never have done it. I did not listen to my gut when my gut was like saying, don't go there, don't do it, Veronica. And I did it and I ignored my gut. And what I've what I've really been been focused on since then is the reality is we a lot of times we as humans put off really difficult decisions. And we don't want to make the hard decisions 
because sometimes it's you got to deal with shitty things. But the reality is, if you put them off, you still have to deal with them, right? It just it's much worse by the time you actually have to deal with it. So I said I would never make that mistake again. Because I mean, that's that that decision in staying in California is part of why I've been struggling financially so much. Um, And so so I was like, and I've been thinking about making these changes here, which is basically closing on two of our slowest days to save payroll and to save some of our expenses. Um, Because as we transitioned our business to this other license holder, which we had to do last uh, last week, we had to shut down for another four days. So it's like being when you have to close your business, and you can't even serve people. It's just it's so anyway, I was it was really stressful. And I just I ended up having to be like, look, Veronica, if you don't make this decision now, you might completely lose your business here in Arizona. So we just need to survive until we can serve the recreational market because Right now, we can only serve the medical market, and the medical market is declining every month. We lose like 20,000 patients that don't renew their medical card. So it's just 20,000 less people every single month that we can serve. And so slowly, month after month, we see our revenue declining, and you know we will be able to serve this lar- much larger market of recreational customers probably within the next year or in over a year, which is why we just have to survive until then. So I had to lay some people off, you know, and, and I had to, you know, tell people that they're getting their hours cut and it sucks. It just sucks. It's, it's, you know, it's, and, and, you know, I'm trying to run my stress off on the treadmill and I'm crying on the treadmills, trying to get myself into a better mood and get the endorphins going and talking myself like, this is the best thing you have, you can do for the business, Veronica, you have to make these hard decisions. And again, it is what it is. You know, at, at, at the end of the day, we do need to stay in business for the rest of our, of our employees and the patients that we serve here. Cause we do serve a very important, you know, patient base. So anyway, that was part of the really stressful week. And I just feel like a huge financial burden. Like I feel like such a uh, a loser. Not you know I haven't you know Chad's been footing the bill for the mortgage, and so it's like and I'm so I'm working the second job, but I'm not going to really start getting paid until probably the end of this month. So you know the end is in sight. By the end of by the end of April, I should be all caught up on on my bills. I'll be able to pay Chad back. I'll be able to you know do all these things. It's just. It's just getting to that point and, you know, it's, it's, it's been a really long journey. Uh, we did get the final good, one good set of news is, is on February 28th, just two days ago, we finally did get the judge, the final judgment from the arbitrator, um, who, you know, we were worried that, you know, cause Cureleaf, the company that we won the arbitration against, they were obviously fighting, having to pay us. And, you know, so I was really nervous that the judge would, you know, cut our award in half or, you know, even even taking away like $15,000 was going to be, you know, a big deal to us. So uh, she took away $8,000. She basically took away her fees that we had to pay her for her work. So at the end of the day, <clears throat> it's $8,000 less, but, you know, it's still it's still a decent chunk of change that we'll get and we'll be able to again survive. I'll get my salary back. 
So hopefully by the end of this month, we get that award unless they decide not to pay us. And then we'll have to, you know, you know, go and, and go to court and anyway, but I, I think by the end of April, I'll be in a much better place. So that's, that's exciting. The end is near. So I, I am looking forward to that. Um, and you know, I, I've been continuing to work out. I've been continuing to, you know, eat, eat, you know, really good, healthy foods through the week. Um, I did treat myself to Thai food on Sunday. Uh, I was like, after that, like, you know, very long week, I'm like, I need something delicious today. So I went and got, we got egg rolls. We got, um, this Thai fried rice. I got chicken satay and I love like mixing the peanut sauce with soy sauce and the spicy sauce. So that was, mm, that was delicious. So yeah, so that was my week. And now let's get into the review of Wholehearted Eating Podcast. All right. So the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. Now I first heard about this uh, from, so I I did a review of a, a podcast called What the Actual Fork. And I, I told you guys that when I was listening to this podcast, I went and read some of the reviews of What the Actual Fork, and there was a negative review saying, oh, these these registered dietitians just have, you know, disordered eating themselves, and it, it, that was like the gist of it. And, you know, Wholehearted Eating Podcast is much better. So I was like, oh, let me go check out Wholehearted Eating Podcast. And um, the topic that caught my eye was how set point theory is rooted in fat phobia. Now, trigger warning, this this episode is going to, I'm going to talk numbers. I'm going to talk numbers on the scale. I'm going to talk about what I weigh, what I think my set point theory is, or my set point is. And um, so if you are someone that gets triggered by hearing this, please don't listen. Uh, my goal is not to trigger anybody um, I like to talk numbers. I do li- I like getting on the scale. I know that's really weird to, to some people and maybe that is a disordered behavior. But um, anyway, I this is my podcast and I'm going to talk about it. And so, but I wanted to do it behind a paywall because of course I don't want to hurt anyone through this or trigger anybody. So again, if you are triggered, please shut this podcast off now. Um, so, so I, I first actually, ironically, I first heard about weight set point theory from the, the dietitians on the, what the actual fork. And when they first mentioned it, they were talking about how the weight set point theory is like your body's happy place. It's like a, a, a weight that your body is really comfortable at. And, you know, as long as you're not doing anything too extreme, this is the, your, your body will stay within, you know, like a 10 point, basically like a 10 pound range of this, of this weight set point that, that your body again is comfortable at. And I was like, oh, when I heard about it, I'm like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. I didn't know that there was an actual term for it. I had kind of figured this out kind of in my own body because I remember when, well, actually, the way I first kind of, well, okay, how do I want to state this? I always knew that my body was comfortable around 130. Like, 
130 pounds since I got into like my 20s and now I'm in my 40s. I always knew that my body, that's where my body was comfortable. And actually, if I remember back, I think that is like the weight that the BMI chart says I should be at my height. Um, I think that was it. Uh, when I, cause I, cause we used to have this chart when I was in the weight loss industry, we had this chart that said, like, this is, this is what people's like ideal weight is. And, and again, I put that in quotes because of course it doesn't take into account different cultures, different people's body types, blah, blah, blah. Like, but this was like the BMI based on your, your height. And I believe mine on that chart, I'm five, six, I believe it was 130. But I always wanted to be 120. Like 130 to me was too high. I always thought that what where I looked best and what I thought was a good weight for me was 120. And so like when I was in my early 20s, I used to torture myself to get below 130 and stay, you know, tr- like try to get down as low into the 20s as I possibly could. Uh, and so what, what would happen is I would like fluctuate within like during the week, I'd try to be really healthy and I'd or eat, you know, eat more, you know, lighter, less indulgent things. And I would like usually get down to like 127, 125. And then, you know, the weekend I would do whatever, I'd eat whatever. And then I'd go back up to like 130, sometimes a little over. And so that was, that was like what I would do. I would like diet down, lose a few pounds, diet back, you know, eat good food, delicious food, go back up. So, but I, I would, that was, that was always what I was trying to do is like maintain at a lower weight than the one thirties. But I, my body would a lot of times like return to that slightly higher weight of around one thirty, And, and I remember that I remember understanding that I could eat a lot of food and still stay around that weight. But to get lower, I had to really restrict, like I had to really restrict. I had to like really diet to get lower than that. And I'm like, God, this is like torture to like get lower. Um, now my highest weight when I gained, you know, when I feel like I was at my heaviest, I was over, I was like in the one fifties and my lowest weight when I went when I went through that really, really stressful, stressful time was like 114. And I remember I was like so excited to be under the 120s. I was like, oh my God, I'm like under 120. This is like crazy. And I remember, I remember every time I would like lose weight and get into the low 20s, you know, prior to this really difficult time in my life, I would always like start binging and eating until I gained that, that weight back up to 130. So I remember thinking, cause I just, during this stressful time, it was when I was, you know, going through this really bad time with my toxic ex. He was basically threatening to kick me out of the company. And I thought I was going to lose everything. I, I was losing my relationship. I was losing this great career I wanted, uh, equity in the company, like all of it. I was just, I was so like beyond. I was so miserable. I was anxious. I was, and, and I completely, I couldn't eat, I could not eat. And, and I, and I just, you know, wasted down to like 114. Now, when I was down there, I was like, oh, I <laughs> this is again, this is very disordered. This is why this is a trigger warning. But I, I wanted to see if I could maintain 
that lower weight. And I consciously was like, okay, I think if I work out every day and, and only eat, you know, you know, ice cream and pizza on the weekends, but I, but also on the weekends, I like, I work out in the morning and I eat healthy up until nighttime when I want to eat pizza and ice cream. So I actually did maintain lower than it, like fluctuating between 114 and like 119 for years. And it wasn't until I actually started dating Chad that I started gaining, gaining a lot of weight back. Um, which is fine. You know, I think that was definitely too thin. I remember, I remember when I was that weight, I remember I, I went out in Sandy, I was in San Diego at this time. And, uh, I remember this, this girl made this comment about, she's like, she mentioned something about like me not having boobs. She's like, oh, she's like, you know, people like, have little boobs like you. They're so lucky that you can like wear anything. And I just remember like being very insulted. I'm like, um, I have boobs. They're small, but they're there. <laughs> and but you do. I mean, you obviously lose fat everywhere and and you know, my breasts are much larger now that I have, you know, a good 15 more pounds on me. Um so so anyway, but I I do remember this desire that I felt like the sense of accomplishment for maintaining at this lower weight. And and that is definitely Again, the number on the scale shouldn't matter, right? But, you know, I'm not going to lie. I did feel a sense of of triumph for maintaining that so long. And and what I've always said is true that I I do now that I'm getting into my 40s and and as I get older, I definitely don't want to be that thin. Like I I don't. I don't want to I don't want to have a low weight like that. I think you know, being in the between 130 and 140 is actually a much better weight for me. And I don't want to look gaunt and I don't want to look eight. Like I don't want losing too much weight to age me. So, so anyway, I, what I always did recognize though, is that I could eat a lot of calories and still, but still maintain, like still stay around like the 130. So, so my whole thing was always like, you know, like this girl healthy with Chelsea that I, that I used to work with and I follow on Instagram, you know, she's always eating so, so, so like clean, very plant-based. I mean, you know, she, she, cauliflower, nachos. I mean, she doesn't look like she ever really indulges, or at least we don't see that she indulges. And I'm like, she could be eating some really delicious things and still be at that weight she wants to be. So I'm like, for me, I always thought, I always, I do think that part of life and part of enjoying life is enjoying delicious, indulgent food. And, you know, when I go to Europe this year, I'm going to be eating all the pastries and eat, you know, so I don't know. I always thought it was kind of sad when people don't allow themselves to indulge and, and a lot of times I'm always like, why wouldn't they? Like, it's not like it's, it's going to affect them on the scale as if that's what their goal should be, which again, definitely some disordered thoughts there for sure. But, um, but anyway, I, I, I recognize though that my body has a happy place and that, you know, when I did gain up to 50 pounds, that was when 150 pounds are over that was when I was binging. I mean, I was eating, 
like cake and ice cream and a whole bag of chips. And, you know, there's other women that have a different body type than me that, that that kind of eating would put twice as much weight on them. I gained a lot of weight and I gained quickly. And I, you know, especially if I stopped working out and it was also drinking alcohol and eating a lot of sugar and eating a lot of fried food, those things compounded will make me gain quickly. So, but when I'm not being extreme like that and, and just eating shit and not eating, um, you know, just eating very indulgent processed sugary foods with alcohol, like if I'm, if I'm just having a balance, right, if I'm getting some workouts in and I'm eating some indulgent things like the 80-20 rule, which is how I like to eat, like my body's going to stay at a, at a, at a happy place. Um, and so what I, what I liked about this, when I first heard of weight set point theory, I'm like, oh, I'm like 130 for me. Like that's, that's my weight set point theory. I personally believe because if I'm not really trying hard, my, that's where my body goes. Um, so, so anyway, so, so it just made sense to me. And, and I think that, for for me, weight set point theory, it just, I thought of it as a really positive thing because the whole thing is like so many, so many, especially women, torture themselves over losing five pounds, right? Over losing that, you know, like me, like I was, I was like dieting to get under 130, like stay in the 120s. It's like, I don't, I really didn't have to work that hard. Like that's where my body's going to going to go anyway. So like, I didn't have to like not eat ice cream during the week. I probably could have had ice cream throughout the week and, and still had like well-balanced food and, and maintained. Like, again, I didn't need to torture myself and then binge on the weekend. So, so that's, that's why I think of it as a positive thing. Cause, cause a lot of people are making themselves miserable over just a couple pounds. And I think that, and I think that's, a lot of women that are in, already in societally improved, like approved bodies are trying to get that extra level of, of thinness. And, and that's very common in our, in our society. And that's why I think in, in terms of that, where like relax, like your body has a, a homeostasis where you don't have to torture yourself. You can live your life. You can eat delicious foods you can eat the way that you want to as long as you're not doing extremes that's that's you know your body's happy place and so i was confused when i when i saw this wholehearted eating podcast and the topic was how set point theory is rooted in fat phobia i was like what i was like why is this negative so let's break down this episode now now first of all i want to admit i am definitely have fat phobic uh, thoughts. I do. I mean, we all do. We all, we, everybody that's grown up in today's society does have some fat phobic thoughts and I'm ashamed of them. I am. I'm not proud of some of the thoughts that go through my head. I, and, and so as these ladies, these registered dietitians talked about this, I will admit, I, I recognize some of it in myself and my own thought processes. So let's get into it. So so this wholehearted eating podcast is hosted by two registered dietitians, Dana Monsies and Christina Byrne. Now, I apologize cuz I don't I've, I haven't listened to a lot of their of their episodes. So it 
it's hard. It was hard for me to differentiate who was talking. So I'm just going to mention to them as one RD said this, another RD said this, but, um, but they, I really like their, their voices. They have nice speaking voices. The, the thing with them is they are, their specialty is eating disorder recovery. Okay. So it's, it's a whole, it's a very serious uh, demographic of people that they are working with. And so they, the way that like they the way they look at t- dieting and, and um, you know, these types of of disordered thoughts and these, these different types of theories, they're looking at it through the lens of treating people that have extreme eating disorders and not even extreme, some, some not extreme, but some very much extreme. So I do understand that it's a little bit of a different perspective. Um, so, so this week they wanted to discuss how the weight set point theory is used in healthcare and how the ED recovery community is rooted in fat phobia and can be a contributing factor in preventing people from fully recovering. Uh, many, many recovery modalities are based on assumptions on how sick someone could be based on their body size, which is a problem. So that was kind of a little synopsis that they had in their episode, um, and really, again, the problems that they see with weight set point theory is specifically in the eating disorder community. So their definition of, of weight set point theory is, is that the body maintains weight within a set range, basically our bodies in homeostasis. It's the preferred range your body likes to hang out in. And when you're not doing any body control methods or restricting, this is where your body goes back to. And so, um, so they, they were talking about how they understand why it's used in recovery discussions because they want people, say for people that are, that are anorexic and have a a very, very low body weight, they, they, sometimes they use it to, to talk about how a person's bodies are not meant to be that underweight. Uh, the problem as they, as they see it, is that it continues to put focus on your body size. And that's how they got here in the first place. That's how this, you know, eating disorders get started anyway, is is focusing on the importance of body size. And so their whole thing is you shouldn't care about what your weight is for set point theory. You know, one of them was saying, if people ask me how I figure out my weight set point, I push back and ask, why do you care? You know, why do you care where your weight is? We just need to let our bodies do our do its thing and focus more on health promoting behaviors. The focus should be away from the body. So I totally get that. And I get it for somebody that so they're talking about people that have no idea because they've been they've had such eating disorders that their bodies have been either underweight or overweight or fluctuated, that they're really confused at what their weight set point theory could be. Now, I've never had those extreme behaviors. So I've been able to recognize that my body has basically gone back to that weight of 130 when I haven't been trying to torture it. <laughs> um, and so another one of the other RDs said, you know, an eating disorder is also a mental thing. It's not just physical and health at every size talks about this theory and that there are positive ways to use this. Um, and so it said that the way that health at every size, so this is a book 
that was written that that has helped people be more body positive. Uh, and and that book is a is a is good. But they but in it in health at every size, they talked about how if you understand that your body is going to naturally fluctuate and not to freak out about a couple pounds. So that's that's what I was saying earlier, that that's the positive way to use it, that ladies or men too, like don't don't freak out over a five pound fluctuation. Like that's just going to happen with natural water retention and, and blah, blah, blah. You don't need to restrict because your body has this homeostasis point. Um, but what they also said is nobody knows what their natural range is unless you allow your body to naturally fluctuate and you're not trying to control weight through exercise uh, and you're not suppressing your weight through micromanaging it. That's a suppressed weight. That's not a natural set point. Um, and so they said what your body's preferred set point is might not be your preferred set point. So this is this is where I was like back in my 20s where my set point was in in the 130s, but I was like no no no. No, I want my weight set point to be 120. I remember I put that on my driver's license one time I'm like no, 120 is what I weigh and I was I'm always like oh, I'm actually 130. I'm not my driver's license is lying. But I, but it's it speaks to what my, you know, I was so focused on you know, being the 120s. And I think too, it played in like, I think men back in the day, getting back to this idea of pleasing men. Um, I think men always had a, men don't, men don't understand women's weight. They don't understand bone structure. They don't understand how much we weigh. So I was always, I always thought that that was like uh, 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 an approved weight for you know, for if if a guy knew how much I weighed, like I'd want it, I want him to see that I was in the one twenties, the low one twenties. Again, so messed up. But that's that's again this like weird mental thing. Like I believe I should be this, but actually my body is healthier, ten pounds higher, um, or or is happier, ten pounds higher. So um, so then they got back to how their clients worry that they've messed up their set point because of all the fluctuations. They think their set point is higher because of all the dieting. Now, let me just take a a pause here. That's what the dietitian said in this podcast. And one thing that Alicia McCarville said is she's, I, I did a podcast about her. Now she is in a much larger body size. She's, I love this woman. She's on Alicia McCarville on, she has a huge social media following. And she talks about how, you know, she used to do this. She used to diet her body down to like 127. And, you know, now she's, or, or you know, I don't think it was 127. I, I don't know where that came from, but, um, she used to like try to diet down and do fitness competitions and do all these things to be societally approved. And now, and, and now she's like, I think she's, you know, over 200 pounds. And she, she realizes now that her body is, you know, at this higher set point now and that, but she's not going to like, she's, she's doing workouts that bring her joy. She's not, She's not moving her body now to like shrink her body or get her, her set point lower. But she did talk about how like now that she has done so much yo-yo dieting and every time she would gain more weight back that her body would have a higher point 
where it would stay. So I, I think that there is something to that. Um, so this dietitian, getting back to the podcast, they, they were talking about how their clients get upset because now they feel like they're destined to be this way. Um, and that's the issue. It puts too much burden on people. It doesn't lead to body acceptance or body neutrality. It goes back to my body's fucked up. It's all my fault and I need to diet down. And, and honestly, that's a really sad existence. So, um, here's my thing. I mean, I think, yes, the mentality that you need to diet all the time and, and, and not, and, and be focused on that is not a way to live. Right. And, and so I get why that can be really harmful to people. I do still think that every day though, we make choices. Like we make choices about, you know, driving past that McDonald's or stopping at McDonald's. We make choices of making food at home or going through a drive through window. Right. And so we still have to make these choices uh, in life about what we choose to consume, how it's going to make us feel and, and all those things. So I, I don't know, really, I just, I have this note in, in there that yes, this idea of continue, like needing to diet down and shrink our bodies to fit into society is having to constantly think about that is, is terrible. It's, it's honestly, it's not a way to live and it's, it's not, it's not going to lead anyone to happiness, right? I think there can be choosing healthier choices for better mental health because of the way that it makes them feel. And, and, and all of those things do add to increased, you know, mental wellness. If you're, if you're making, you know, if you're, if you're using nutrition in a way because it fuels you and it makes you feel good. Um, Anyway, let me get back to the podcast. I'm going off on a weird tangent. So, so this is why set point theory in eating disorder, eating disorder recovery doesn't work. They said if you're in recovery, you may have in, an internalized an idea um, that, that don't worry, you won't get that big. That's that's kind of that internalized idea, and <clears throat> you know that's what they think is not necessarily healthy if you're in recovery uh, because your body. They're saying that this idea of don't, don't worry, like you, you have a set point, like you're not going to get that big. Um, that's fat phobic. So they're saying that's the issue. Like why their, their whole point is why is being big bad? Why is being in a larger body size a terrible thing? How is this reinforcing the way the things I think about my body size anyway? You know, is this going to serve me long term? So I, I do get that. I do get that we have to have body acceptance. We can't be continuing to shrink our bodies. And, and this is where I recognize that I, I do have some fat phobic ideas because it, it is very uncomfortable to, for me to think about, you know, where I was at that point and feeling out of control when I was creeping past 150 pounds. It, I definitely, so, you know, I know that, I do know that I want to maintain my weight set point theory. I do. And I also know that the behaviors I had getting up to that 150 were not healthy behaviors. I mean, 
I don't want to have those binging at night tendencies where I have absolutely no balance. Um, so anyway, so, so getting back to what the dietitians were saying, they said some people will think something is wrong with them if their body doesn't change, if they start eating intuitively. Uh, body control behaviors in general are not good for mental health. So why do we care? You know, we don't need to worry about this preferred range. Um, they said, if you're on a journey to find your set point range and you end up dieting and restricting because you think you have to stay in this BMI chart, that is not recovery. Fat phobia focuses too much on the body versus acceptance. And then another one of the RDs said, we see a discrepancy between success in recovery, where we want to be, and where we want our bodies to be. Um, what's better for recovery is unthinking that there's a problem with where our bodies want to be, especially if that happens to be at a higher weight. So this is this is something that like Sammy on Diet Starts Tomorrow has you know accepted. She went through this intuitive eating journey where she ate cake all the time just because she, she, now if you look at old pictures of her, she was, she would be on that diet restrict, diet restrict. And she did, she was at a, at a lower weight in her, in her youth, like throughout her twenties. She, like, if you look at old pictures of her, she was, she was much thinner, but she said, but what she would talk about is the anxiety of staying there. You know, when she'd go on vacation, she'd be like, oh my God, what am I going to eat? What am I not going to eat? How, like, should I go work out? Should I not work out? You know, and she'd just be every, she would be torturing herself in her mind over what to do so that she didn't gain weight. And that led to a very miserable life for her. A lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, not, not enjoying special moments with her loved ones because she'd be so worried about what her body looked like. You know, was she, should she drink? Was she going to gain too many calories from that alcohol? It's, that is not a way to live. And, and, and now she has accepted that, you know, through her intuitive eating journey, she accepts that, okay, she's in a larger body size and that's okay. Like that's, that's not her worth in the world. And, and now she enjoys, you know, she's not binging anymore necessarily on like cake, you know, she'll, but she'll eat cake throughout the week if she wants it. She's like, I, n I no longer have those tendencies where I'm like, it's, it's, I'm not going to be able to have it. So I need to eat a whole cake. Right. But but her weight is at, her body is at a larger size. So, you know, that is something that she has, has learned to be okay with. And I, I honestly, I do applaud that. I think that that is a very healthy way to live and she's going to live a more fulfilled life because of that. Um, but with that, she still struggles with, you know, she, you know, she just has to consciously like look away sometimes and pull her mind back to, you know, the right places and the right thought processes. Um, so I do understand that that's a really good place to be. And, and I've, you know, I mean, obviously there's, you know, I, what I'm trying to get away from is, is this perfectionist state of being where, you know, I definitely 
as I'm happy at, at the higher like 130s now, fluctuating between 130, 140, I'm not going to lie. When I still see, like when I just got on the on the scale just right before this podcast and was 127, I'm not going to lie. I like seeing those 20s, but I also now I'm like, I don't want to lose. I don't want to get lower than that. I don't because I don't want to look gaunt. But, you know, I'm happy to fluctuate at my at my set point um, with the understanding that I'm accepting that I have a lot of cellulite on my legs and that, you know, I'm not going to have that six pack and that super flat stomach. And that's OK. Right. Accepting those things and not trying to be perfect in those areas has brought me a lot more joy. Um, and again, some people hearing this are going to be like, uh, okay, that's, you know, that's very brave of you, Veronica. I mean, it's kind of stupid, but whatever. It's fun to talk about. Anyway, um, getting back to it. So the registered dietitians talked about how their assumptions made about anorexia, bulimia, binge eating, that people have an idea of what those bodies look like when they have those conditions. You know, like everybody assumes that, you know, anorexic people are going to be super, super skinny and uh, bulimic people are, you know, that, that binge might be at a higher weight, but it's, that's totally a falsehood. It, it can go opposite with, with some people. Um uh, but every body is different, and really, it's about focusing on what's happening men- mentally. Uh, another one of, the, I think it was Christina talked about how inpatient recovery often invol- involves tr- a triage and medical care. You know, obviously, these are more serious cases where you know people go into a hospital setting. And she said in that space, a lot of times weight restoration is the focus over the mental health aspect. And that's a huge miss. She said body issues will still remain, remain if a focus on the mental, mental issues aren't, aren't a focus. She's like, if this, if it's just a chain, if it's just that body changes are being the focus for recovery, it just keeps the focus on body size and that doesn't help. And I, I think what they're talking about, so I used to, I went to college with this girl who was absolutely anorexic. And I mean, I, I, I was fascinated with watching what she would eat every day. She would go and she would make herself a frozen yogurt, um, a, a very small frozen yogurt. I don't think she would put any, she would put some of the sugar-free like chocolate topping on top and what else would she get? Like I would see her getting like gummy bears. Like she would, she would eat like, this was when fat free was, was the craze. I don't think we knew about sugar at that point. So she'd eat a lot of like fat free frozen yogurt with fat free chocolate topping. And you know, obviously like the candy was fat free. So I think that's why she ate it. And also I think the sugar gave her energy where she didn't have energy from eating anything else. And she, she was, I mean, so like, you could tell that she had an eating disorder and she did leave. Like she was, she was pulled out of college because it got really bad and she had to go into a hospital setting. And when, when it's at that point, I understand what, what these registered dietitians are saying, because at that point, a lot of the focus is just trying to get calories into these people so that they gain weight and they don't die. Right. Cause you know, when you're that thin and you're that, um, deprived of nutrition, 
you know, your liver is, is affected, your heart is affected. I mean, most like, I think that's how Karen Carpenter died, right? She died of a heart attack because she had put so much stress on her heart from, from, you know, from starving herself. It's, it's just really sad. Um, but I do, I do understand what they're saying. Like a lot of times when people, when these people that have anorexia end up in a hospital setting, they're just trying to make them gain weight to save their lives, but they're not necessarily, or at least back in the day, there wasn't this awareness that, hey, we need to get this person into counseling and there needs to be, you know, many different types of therapists that help them with understand what they're dealing with psychologically so that they don't repeat these behaviors. Like, yeah, you might be able to get them to gain some weight on the short for the short term, but is this going to help them in the long term? So they they were going on and saying, you know, clients often do what it takes to get out of the hospital system, but they might not know how to eat on the outside. You know, they can't use lang the, the right language, you know, or, or, you know, don't worry, you won't get that big. The, the internal piece, what I was just saying, needs to be the focus. Um, they went on to say they need to teach clients that body is their body is not a problem to be fixed. I really love that statement. I think that that's a really good thought. Like your body is not your body is here to get you through life, right? You should honor your body. Um, it's not a problem to be fixed. Uh, and so of course, aside from stabilization, it's the mindset that needs to be fixed. The behaviors will come back if the mindset is fixed, the, the behaviors won't come back if the mindset is fixed. Fat phobia in society that, that leads to eating disorders. And again, <clears throat> this, so they're just talking about how, you know, Fat, the, the fat phobia in our society <clears throat> leads us to have these effed up mindsets and, and, and which leads to this, this disordered eating behaviors and leads to other health problems, uh, heart rate issue, liver enzyme issues. Um, they're saying that <clears throat> you can't take that band aid approach where you're just focusing on, you know, getting their, their body weight up, um, you know, especially in this type of serious situation. You can't get to the root root of the problem. You need to dig for it. And that's why a whole team is necessary for whole and sustained recovery. So you know, they're very focused on the eating disorder community. And I think that's why, you know, that, that review that I read that was tearing down um, the what the actual fork podcast that podcast is a much lighter podcast it's a frivolous it's you know they, they definitely tackle some good topics and those registered dietitians i think are are working with a less serious set of set of the population where it's not like serious triage cases of anorexia um that and i think that that the the person that left that review I would imagine probably struggled with some eating disorder behaviors themselves that was really serious. And so they're them listening to this more frivolous, you know, what used to be called the drunk dietitians podcast. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's this, this podcast wholehearted eating is, a, it's got a much more serious tone. Um, it is, it is meant for a population that is, seriously struggled with eating disorders or disordered eating behaviors. So, um, so anyway, they're talking about whole care coordination is the way to go. Um, and I totally believe in that. I mean, me working in cannabis and seeing these poor dementia patients that, 
you know, are just being given these heavy duty pharmaceuticals. But sometimes like they see three different doctors and there's just over prescribing of things and, and they're not necessarily getting the, the right care. Uh, and they're talking about this too, that, okay, sometimes these people are just put in hospitals where there's just this, you know, narrow focus of gaining weight and stabilization, but they're not, they're not working with, you know, a registered dietitian that, that focuses on eating disorders and somebody that can deal with the emotional aspects. Uh, so they're talking about how, and this I think is a really important point that recovery happens in stages. You know, if you need triage and not all people need that level, um, you know, there's inpatient care versus outpatient. Obviously people that need to be checked in and stay at a hospital, in a hospital setting, that's a much more serious case. Um, but meeting people where they're at is very, very important. You know, there are stages that people need to go through to recover from both eating disorders and disordered eating behaviors. Uh, taking it stage by stage and understanding these different steps is very, very important. They said, ideally, everyone has this, this anti-fat phobic, uh, you know, thought processes. And uh, ideally, everybody comes from a weight-inclusive perspective, but not everyone can start there. Um, she said that some clients haven't consented to that. And it's, she's like, it's weird. She's like, some other practitioners that we know won't work with people who want to lose weight. Uh, she's like, but I wouldn't want my clients to lie to me. She's like, it's as if they are thinking that all of us haven't grown up in this same fat phobic society that's made us all internalize these fat phobic thoughts. She's like, let's talk about it. She's like, we need to talk about these things. You know, we all have this. And if a practitioner is saying, like, I won't take this person because they want to lose weight or have these these thoughts, it's like, well, you're not living in reality. Like, we all have some of these thoughts. Um, she's like, we we need to we need to have an open dialogue. We all have internalized fat phobic thoughts, and we need to uncover each layer of what's happening. You know, the goal for the end result is to ha- is is to have that anti fat phobic body accepting thought processes, but that has to come over time. Um, and she's like, it's a balance of realizing, you know, where you're where you are and where you need to be. People in recovery often like the idea of set point theory because it gives you a nice little range to control. She's like, it's based on the BMI that encourages weight control behaviors and it makes us feel safe and secure. But it's a false sense of that because it's based on fat phobic belief systems. She's like, ask yourself, ask yourself, why do I like the weight set point theory? Why do I get so uncomfortable if my body is out of that range? Like, what does that mean? What is that telling me? You know, how can I, how can I start to dive into these layers so I can understand and look at my body more neutrally? Um, so it's more comfortable. So, so this made me think <laughs> now, you know, all of you can be the judge. Like I, I know that I say have, ha- have some disordered thoughts. I know I'm, I'm sure I say some disordered eating things. I, I do overall think I have a pretty healthy relationship with food though. And I know I'm lucky in that. Like because I was brought up that food is is a gift and food is love and food is like life. I mean, I I love food and I celebrate with food and I 
I celebrate food. I don't know. I, I, again, this, the diet obsessed podcast is a play on words because I also am, I just love, I love eating. (laughs) And, um, but I, I also am very, I know I also have these ideas of weight control and, and trying to stay, like, I do want to maintain my weight at, at this weight set point theory. Like I, I don't want to go over into the one fifties now. So I am asking myself, why do I like that? I like it because of like, I'm just going to be, I'm going to go off on a blurb of, of just speaking my truth. Like, why do I like weight set point theory? It's because I know I can eat all the indulgent, delicious things I want. And, you know, as long as I'm, you know, eating with some balance and also focused on some good nutrition as well, while I'm, I'm also incorporating these delicious foods, I don't have to worry about, yeah, gaining a ton of weight. And and their point is, why would you worry about gaining a ton of weight? And I think that plays into what we what I talked about last time, like how you're treated by society, you know, having to buy new clothes and not fit into the clothes that you have. You know, I feeling the fat jiggling on my body when I'm running on the treadmill. It's it's, you know, when I've been, you know, 20, 30 pounds heavier than I am now it doesn't feel good on me. I do feel sluggish. Now, I think that's probably because the way I got to that higher weight was through binging and 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 having no balance in my life. So so again, I I like set point theory. So I I know there there is something fat phobic about that, about not wanting to be at a at a I don't know. I mean, I, I do know I have some fat phobic thoughts. I think it's from the media. I think it's from my family, like family talk about it. You know, I'm, I know my dad, even though my dad was heavier, he used to make fun of people that were overweight. I mean, you know, you see it in the medium. You can't, sometimes you don't even know where some of these thoughts come from because it was implanted by a movie or, you know, someone you idolized as a child. You just, some, sometimes you don't know where it comes from. And that's why I really liked what these dietitians were saying. They were kind of giving grace to the fact that like, look, we all have this. We're all trying to work through these. And, and I, I, I am, I mean, I don't want to promote disordered eating, but you know, again, it's, there are these mixed messages from, you know, how if you do end up, so, so their whole points are, well, what if you do gain weight? What if, who cares if your body is in a larger size? Well, what if that does bring, um, increased blood pressure or increased cholesterol, right? Because here's the thing, when Sammy from Diet Starts Tomorrow through her intuitive eating journey you know, she's comfortable in this larger body, but when she went for her checkup, her cholesterol was elevated, her heart, there were, there were these, these levels that they, that doctors watch for, which had risen and that, that could have made her take pharmaceuticals to, you know, to, to prevent certain conditions from forming. So that's where, you know, having, you know, some balance in your life and, and, maintaining at a a lower weight does matter for your health right and and when i had that rd 
um, Kim on my on my podcast, how she said, you know, pe- studies show that just, you know, one or two pounds can make that much of a difference with lowering your blood pressure. So again, there's, I do still have those ideas of, you know, my dad having three heart attacks because he had no balance. But I, but I, again, I like weight set point theory because, you know, when I'm, when I'm just getting in, like, again, when I gained all my weight, it was because I had also completely stopped working out, which is not good for you, right? If I'm working out once, twice a week, my weight set point theory and not binging out of control, I'll, I'll maintain my weight set point theory or my weight set point. So so I don't know. It's, it's, I, 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 I like being introspective. I, I do, I'm, I'm all about peeling back the layers of fat phobia. I don't want to be fat phobic. I don't. I will admit though, when I see someone who's like 400 pounds, I, I feel for them because I know that they're struggling with judgment. I know that they're struggling with what people probably say to them. And I get that from listening to your fat friend on, you know, um, maintenance phase. She, she said which, the way she's treated by, you know, by society, people yelling things at her, people, it's, it's horrible. So, you know, the, of course people want to be treated well. Of course people want to be, um, you know, so, so I do understand that that there is this idea of fat phobia because, you know, my clients, when I was in the weight loss industry would tell me they gained a hundred pounds in a year. They didn't, they, it, like, they don't know how it came on so fast. When I gained that 30 pounds in that summer, because I was binging and not exercising and drinking heavy beer at night, I gained so fast by not having balance. So I know how fast it can happen and it takes a long time and and it's much harder to lose weight than it is to gain weight. Let me just say that. So, you know, if you do put on weight to the point where you do have high blood pressure and then you have to lose weight to get your blood pressure or your, um, you know, your liver enzymes in control, that's, you know, that's having to lose weight is, is torturous, right? So, I, I'm personally someone that would rather be, be cognizant, get on the scale and, and practice some, some more balanced behaviors in a less strict way. So I don't get to that point again where I have to be more structured to get back down to where I really want to be. And again, I think their point is you shouldn't have to worry that much. Maybe I'm talking in circles, so I apologize. <laughs> I'm going to stop rambling about this. Let me finish up with the rest of the the review. So they were saying that, you know, ask yourself, why do I get so uncomfortable if my body is out of that range? So <clears throat> that was my tangent where I was trying to dissect that. There's definitely more layers to peel. Um, but they're saying, like, ask, ask yourself, like, what does that mean to me? What is that telling me? How can I, how, how can I you know, dive into these layers um, of like my thought process so I can understand and look at my body more neutrally uh, to get to a more comfortable place with where I'm at. And then the new, the, another one of the RDs said, you know, if you're uncomfortable where your body is now in your current body size, that doesn't mean this isn't the bo- the size your body wants to be. 
You know, your body is trying to protect you at the end of the day to have enough energy to thrive. You know, just because you're uncomfortable doesn't mean it's unhealthy. Changing your body or trying to shrink it isn't going to help you heal. You know, ask yourself, why do I think that that my body at this size is unhealthy? And she went on to say, this is the undercurrent for why people think that they're failing at intuitive eating. You know, through the intuitive eating journey, people might gain weight and be in a larger body size at the end of that. So it's, you, you just got to get out of that, that thought process of thinking that it's unhealthy. Cause when you put that together with weight set point theory, they're saying it can be very overwhelming as if you're failing. And then that carries over to, you know, understanding how, you know, how to meet your body's needs without demonizing food or having, you know, having foods in the house that are, you know, might be trigger foods for you without binging on them. You know, do we, this, this leads to not knowing how to nourish our bodies. You know, it does take time for people that have gone through recovery to learn how to fuel their themselves, you know, take care of themselves and also still not feel like they're failing. Uh, she's like, what most people know about nutrition really stems from weight loss or weight control theories. And it confuses people. It's like, how do I eat a salad again without feeling like dieting? It's about neutralizing nutrition uh, without trying without making it about weight loss or body control. Now, I will say that, again, some of these things that they bring up, like ask yourself why weight set point theory is comfortable to you. Yeah, I mean, it, it does make you think, right? And then this, where they're talking about how most of the nutrition that we've learned does stem from weight loss, I will admit, a lot of what I know about about nutrition did come from working in the weight loss industry, understanding the importance of protein, understanding about staying full so that you don't get hungry, eating from all the food groups. I mean, but again, I don't think that that's bad. I I, I think that it's good that I learned those things. I think it's good that I learned portion control at that young age. So I know that they're saying it's bad, but I kind of think it's good. So I, I, I disagree. Yeah, I but I but I also love salads, you know. So again, I know that they're talking about a different demographic that is so extreme in their thought process that they've gotten to where they can't enjoy a salad. Taylor Strucker's like this. She she talks about how she's like I've got to get out of this mentality that it's like all or nothing, that I'm either eating bagels and and ice cream all day or eating, you know, shrimp cocktail and and salad greens. She's like, I need to, to start understanding that I don't need to be dieting to eat a salad, right? I don't need to be torturing myself to enjoy vegetables. So I, I totally understand that point. Um, but again, I, I do think that what I learned in the weight loss industry has served me well for the rest of my life. Um, and so the last sense thing that they that they that they were talking about was what your body does and what your weight set point theory is is none of your business let your body do what it's going to do focus on how do i support my body how do i move away from unhealthy thoughts of focusing on our body size you know look at our relationship with other people's bodies and bodies too um you know, it's, it's about getting out of this long-term cycle. 
And I do get that, right? Like, it is unhealthy to constantly be thinking about these things. At the same time, it's so funny because like the going through like a yoga practice or even getting to the point where you're you're really good in pilates like you you do have to be very in touch with your body um your body cues all of these things so i get that what they're trying to do and again they have this extreme focus of the eating disorder community and they're trying to get people away from just thinking about body size. You know, the intuitive eating movement talks about really listening to your body's cues, the hunger cues, uh, the satiety cues, so that you know when you're satiated, um, you know, and you know when you've had enough. Uh, and, and I've learned to do that. And I think, again, working in the fitness industry, working in the weight loss industry, having gained and lost you know, having, having thought about these things, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think that, and also celebrating food, right? Coming from a family that celebrated food, I think it would be very different if my family demonized food and, and prohibited me from eating certain things like, you know, like Emily Lubin's family did. And, and I think, a lot of people with eating disorders came from families that that made them diet as as a child. So so I do come from a very different perspective where I don't know, I think sometimes I think that my 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 things on the on the scale, my desire to to look at my weight, sometimes it's like a little goal, I'm very goal oriented. I do like to do little challenges and and challenge myself in certain ways. So I know I I know I am very very aware that there are certain aspects to the wellness industry and to diet culture that I actually like. I'm not going to lie. I I do and I enjoy doing some of these things. So I don't know where I fall on this spectrum of you know eat disordered eating and diet culture and body positivity and fat phobia. I'm I'm swirling somewhere in the middle there. Try and and definitely being very introspective to understand it all. Um and and I'd be curious what your thoughts are. Like where do you all see yourselves on the spectrum of you know eating dis- disordered eating? Like do you think that you have disordered eating tendencies? Or, I mean, obviously you like my podcast because we talk about these things, right? And so, you know, it, I mean, I love talking about this. I, I, I love listening to all the podcasts on it, both, and both sides of it, right? There's, there's the maintenance phase podcast, which is like extreme against diet culture. And then you've got, um, you know, you've got like the wellness for life podcast, or there's these other like, like the Skinny Confidential podcast that has all these like, you know, all these different cleanses and all these different, you know, wholesome nutrition stuff on it. So I definitely, I like it all. I like it all. I like to mention it all. And so here we are, you know, just analyzing it all. So anyway, that's the podcast. (laughs) Hopefully I wasn't too confusing today as I rambled on and went on 5,000 tangents as I usually do, but um, hopefully I didn't trigger everybody. Um, 
But anyway, I will be doing some more. So next week is just the regular general public podcast. Um, I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to be doing as a topic. I have a bunch of different things I want to talk about and, um, I would like to get back to doing DST. I haven't done a Diet Starts Tomorrow since the new hosts came out. I think I, I just did the very, very first one that they did. So maybe I'll check out a DST and, and maybe do that again. But anyway, uh, please follow me on Instagram at the Diet Obsessed Podcast. Please follow me at Veronica.Santarelli. Please tell your friends to subscribe. Thank you for subscribing to Craving More. I really appreciate all of it. And until we meet again, I hope all of you have a very balanced week.